So this morning, uh, I want to just preach on four mysteries that are, they're called wonderful. There's, in Proverbs 30, it talks about there's three things that are too wonderful for that I do not understand. And um, each one of these pictures in this proverb points to the gospel. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, but just real quick, I just, I feel like um, somebody needed to hear Romans 8:29, where it, and it's like a, it may be for, it's, I think it's for all of us, you know, in one sense or another, but it's Romans 8:29. That's right after it says that he'll cause all things to work for the good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. And it says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so I just have a destiny word for some of you. You've been wondering where God's taking you. He's taking you into Jesus. And that's the destiny that he has for you. And so like the gospel can be really simple is that wherever you're at, let it conform you into Jesus. That's what he predestined you to, to be, is to, to, to become the likeness, to become the image of Jesus. And so just let wherever you are, do that. <laughs> let God use everything in your life, where you're at in life, to just make you like Jesus because that is, he's not as concerned uh, as much with vocation. Certainly he leads us in those areas without a doubt, but his first priority is where your heart is. Is because if your vocation doesn't ends up taking you away from Jesus, then it's all in vain anyways, all right? It's just like if we prophesy without love, it's in vain. If we do whatever without love, it's in vain. And so um, just always keep the main thing, the main thing that you can always, it's really easy to always be in the will of God. Rejoice always and everything, give thanks. Pray without ceasing. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, which is First Thessalonians 5. So um, a lot of times when we, when we shift our focus, then the doors start opening up. When we don't have to have that thing, God can actually give it to us. When Jesus is what is all that we, we need, then he can freely give us all things. Okay. All right. To the sermon. That was, that was a sermon too. Another quick little word. I came across Francis Frangipan. If you've never heard of this guy, buy all of his books. I've been reading him for years, but um, he actually his ministry is actually called In Christ Image Training. But I, I came across this the other day. He said, "So you consider yourself a nothing and a nobody. Regardless, you must not excuse yourself from the high calling of God on your life just because you think you're a nothing. In God's eyes." Being a nothing is actually an improvement over anyone who thinks he is something when he is nothing. Remember, God created the universe out of nothing. So, <laughs> God uses, he says it's an improvement when you think you're something, when you're actually nothing, but it's God created. We don't have anything that we can do apart from the Lord. Jesus modeled that for us. 
Apart from, he said, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Jesus, the Son of God, perfect without sin, said that. And so if that, if that is how it went for Jesus, then we just need to expect that's, that's going to how it, how it goes for us, how it is for us. And so there's actually rest and peace in knowing that you can do nothing because the pressure's off. <laughs> the pressure's off of you. You pray for somebody, the results aren't on you. You're leaving, you're just, you're leaving that to God, right? When, we, when you pray for a headache, it's just as much of, and, and somebody gets healed, it's just as much of, of a miracle as if somebody getting up out of a wheelchair because you can't heal a headache. Am I right? So you can do nothing. And there's rest and there's peace in that place of being able to fully turn to the Lord, fully turn to the Holy Spirit and, and, and trust him to do what you can. The other, I was, I'm coaching soccer, which is harder than pastoring a church. And so, yeah, it's, it's anyway, so um, first of all, it's because I'm very competitive. Factor number one. And so I've got, I'm, old Travis is trying to like, he's trying to poke out, you know, he's like, and so, um, and there's nothing actually wrong with competition, but, um, and so factor number one is uh, dad's competitive. I'm talking about from Lydia's perspective. Problem, factor number two is you're, I'm coaching my child. I'm not just coaching a team, I'm coaching my child. And so, this is honestly, I've been declaring <laughs> this over this season. I was like, Lord, this is going to be the most fun and peaceful season yet. Because it's, it's been a, a death in some ways. And if you go out there, I don't, I'm not a crazy parent or anything like that. At least I don't think so. But some people might be like, dude needs to chill out. But um, but one of the things I've been saying, but praying to the Lord lately is like, Holy Spirit, you're the best coach in the world. I need you. I need you to coach this, these 11 and 10 year old girls in these games that don't really mean anything. I need you, help me. And it's just like, I, I feel the grace of God on my coaching more than I ever have, you know? And so, but it's, it's those types of things like I can't, I have a history of, I've coached basketball, high school basketball, I've played sports, so I could rely on my own strength. I watch YouTube videos for soccer drills, but like Holy Spirit's the absolute best at all of that. And so I just wanna realize that, but if you feel like you're a nothing, you're, you're nothing God created the universe out of nothing and he's, he creates something beautiful with us and he thinks you're of high value and worth to him. So Proverbs 30, 18 through 19 says, three things are too wonderful, wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. So it's one of those you could just kind of read over and be like, yeah, okay. And, but number one, I want to talk about the eagle. 
So it's the way of the eagle in the sky. When you think about an eagle, the eagle represents, in the Bible, it represents life in the spirit. It represents prophetic vision. It represents living in the heavenly places. So that eagle, picture of an eagle soaring in the sky. I mean, how many, how many of you get mesmerized when you see like an eagle or a falcon just hanging up in the sky and he's just chilling up there and he's not flapping his wings one bit? It's a place of rest. The eagle is not depending upon his strength. He's depending upon the wind. And that wind's just blowing up, sustaining him until he finds what he's looking for. And the eagle, I don't know, they can, they can be three miles, four miles. I mean, it's far up in, the, up in the sky and they can see a rat in the field. And so just the, that ability to see forward is, is what represents um, the prophetic vision and, and, and living from heavenly places. When we're in Christ, I think prophetic culture is, is just a, is a natural part of, um, of Christian life because we have the God of the past, present, and future inside of us. <laughs> so he tells us things about past, present, and future. And, and um, he heals, you know, anything that's broken in the past, he heals it. He speaks to us about in the present, and then he speaks to us about the future because that's where he's at. And he's looking at it and he's telling us. Now, life in the spirit can be a mystery because we do not lean on our own understanding. All right, because we're depending on the Holy Spirit. We're not depending upon our flesh or our, or our understanding. So following the Holy Spirit is not always logical. Um, I remember one time the Lord had Jessica and I give our tax return money to a cause that we actually didn't believe in. It was a Christian cause, but it was something that we, we thought that, it was, that the money was being, should have been spent somewhere else or whatever. And the Lord's like, no, I want you to give to that. And we did. And then we got um, blessed by that organization. <laughs> so it was just, uh, it didn't make sense, you know. And so, and then the Holy Spirit will also, um, he might, you might have to do things where, it doesn't make sense uh, to your head. I've, I've told this story, but I'm going to speed it up. Our, my buddy Joel Goddard, one time he was in the church service, and it was a uh, more traditional church, and he said, get an aisle and do push-ups. And he said, no thanks. And the Lord said, get an aisle and do push-ups. And so he, he's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like I'm worshiping on my face. And then he did like a push-up. And he did another one. And this guy from across the aisle went, started counting them out like this. One, two. And everybody looked at Joel doing push-ups in the aisle. And he did about 10, 12 push-ups. And he got in the, back in the seat and he was just like, that was embarrassing, Lord. Why in the world did you tell me to do push-ups? Well, they gave the altar call. A man came down gave his life to Jesus. And they said, you know, give, why don't you give a testimony? And the guy said, you know, my wife's been asking me to go to church for 30 years. And I said, if, you, if I go to church tonight, will you never ask me again? Will you quit bothering me? And she said, yes, I'll never ask you again. He goes to church, sits in the back pew, and he says, God, if you're real, somebody's going to have to get up and do push-ups in the aisle. <laughs> so Holy Spirit isn't logical. 
and you do not, you can't trust or lean on your own understanding all the time. So we rest upon the strength of the wind, the spirit. Isaiah 40, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. It means it's impeccable. You can't find fault in it. His strength gives, he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble, stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles effortlessly on the wind. They will run and not grow tired. They will walk and not become weary. How do you not get tired? How do you not get weary? Because you're just soaring. You're not flapping your wings or flapping your gums, whatever it is. And so, you know, how many of y'all, the Lord wore you out and you gave your life to him? He wore you out. How many, how many can you say that? The Lord wore me out. I got tired of running from him. That's another way of saying it. How many of you got tired of running from God? It's because he doesn't get tired. You do. He doesn't. And so you run and run, you look, and he's just, he's at 100% energy bar. He doesn't need the five-hour energy or anything like that. So next, so we look at the serpent on a rock. Serpents represent the, pride, the sin of pride. All right? Serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He, the, the serpent was a manifestation of, of Satan. And he, uh, he was ejected out of heaven because of his pride. He wanted to become like God. And how did he tempt Adam and Eve? You will become like God. Okay? So pride is the chief of sins. It's actually a demonic virtue so you th and power. So you think of um, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those are virtues of the Holy Spirit. Pride, think of it as a virtue of the devil. It's a character, it's one of his, it's part of his nature. And so when we obeyed his voice, his, that nature came into us. <laughs> when we obey the voice of the Holy Spirit, that nature comes into us. The God's nature, okay? So pride will cause you to rebel even in the midst of unhindered glory. So think about that. Satan's in unhindered glory. Unhindered, he's in the presence of God and yet pride still affected him. I just, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling, you know, and I, who's to say that we wouldn't have done the same thing? I'm just saying in the presence of unhindered glory. So it doesn't matter how many, like, Jesus encounters you had, you can still be susceptible to pride. You still need to ask God, give me a humble and contrite heart. Give me poorness of spirit. Let me not be in Revelation 3 where it says, you know, you think you're clothed and you think you have much and you think you have food, but you're naked and, and you're vulnerable and you, you, need, you don't have any food. And Jesus is just saying, you're not what, what you think you are. You're in great need. You're in great need. And so our sin was placed upon the rock who is Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 4. Numbers 21, 8 through 9 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. Now what had happened, <laughs> that sounded, what had happened? And so God had just, he's taken them in the wilderness and they're, and they're, they're, they're wandering around in the wilderness and they're looking, they're seeing landmarks and like, 
dude, we were here eight weeks ago. What is going on? Where in the world is God leading us? And that's when they started, take us back to Egypt. Well, at least we had uh, meat to eat. Never mind like them whipping us all day long, but we had meat. They, got, they were tired of the manna every day. And so God said, all right, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And he, he caused a quail to come down. If you do figure out the measurements, it was three feet high and extended out uh, in a three-mile radius. He's like, you want meat? I'll give you some meat. And then they're like, but we're, you know, they just, <laughs> it's like one of those moments where you're like, okay, sorry, Lord. And they, they were grumbling about the manna. They were grumbling about meat. They were grumbling. I'm like, we've been around here before. And they, and they were grumbling. And what happened was the Lord sent fiery serpents to bite them. And, and some of them started dying. And then they, re, they repented to the Lord. And the way that they got healed was this. Make a fiery serpent. He's telling Moses, set it on a standard, a rod, a staff. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bent any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. It's kind of weird, but it points to Jesus. So when we see our sin upon the body, upon the literal body of Christ, upon Jesus' body, lifted up on the cross, we see the forgiveness of our sins. And so Jesus said, the son of man must be lifted up. All right? And so that symbol, that fiery serpent, where everybody looked to that to that fiery serpent and they were healed. When we look to the cross of Calvary, when we see Jesus having the sin of pride and and the sin of humanity placed upon him on that rod, on that cross, then we're forgiven and and we, we see the forgiveness as we receive it. The third is the ship on the sea. A ship rides high upon the seas. And much of the ocean is a mystery is yet to be explored. And this is, just imagine that our lives are, are, are like a ship on the sea. And, and, and so we're on top of the water. And there's just trillions and zillions of gallons of water underneath us. And there's so much of the ocean that has yet to be explored. And so it's like we just, there's so much of life that's, that is mystery. And, so, and that part the fact that life has a lot of mystery to it is, is a stumbling block for some people because if they can't understand it, they feel like they can't put trust in it. But if this is the thing I would say to that is that if you understood everything, you would be God. Am I right? You're very finite. I don't even know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know anything. I don't know anything. I was, this past week, I, I Facebook messaged a guy that um, I went to school with growing up. And, you know, I felt, I didn't think he was a believer. Um, and uh, part of the reason I, re- I, I, this guy's trying real hard to be a good person. He's trying real hard. And so my heart has always gone out to him, and I felt like the Lord prompt, prompted me just to Facebook message him and say, hey, man, where are you at on your journey with God or Jesus? You know, because um, he actually went to the same church uh, that I grew up in. And 
you know, he was, uh, didn't really believe in a God. You know, he said, who's to say that in some, we're not some creation of a five-year-old kid in an alternate universe who just is, uh, you know, deciding, like speaking his world into existence. And I was like, do you realize how much faith that takes? To believe some five-year-old kid is the reason that this, this is life? And, and so, like, this, part of the gospel is realizing that we're created beings. Nobody remembers picking their hair color, their height, the gifts that they would have. Nobody remembers that because you didn't do it. You created. There's a creator. And you're, you, so you were created with a purpose, and the creator knows best what that purpose is. And so um, I don't know much about cars, but like the guy that was the engineer of our car, he would know exactly the, how that car works. God's one that created us. He knows exactly how we should work. And the way we work best is in communion with him, knowing him, knowing Jesus. And so, I, you know, part of it was I wanted, I, I told him, I said, well, what do you do about I said, you know, there's, um, there's good and there's evil. I said, and I just told him my testimony. I didn't even try to argue philosophy with him. I just, I said, I said, yeah, man, you know, I, I grew disillusioned with the church for a time, but I realized that there's, an, there's a problem of evil in the world, and the only one I saw who had a solution to it, including the evil in my heart, was Jesus. And that Jesus was the only one that came off of his throne to save me. Every other God is saying, come find me. Come do for me. You have to serve that God. Jesus is the servant God. He came to serve you. He came to wash your feet. He came to save you. He came to pull you out of the pit. He is the servant God. Every other God is saying, do this, do that, do that. Then maybe I'll give you an ear. That's where all the small, the you know, in, indigenous gods that have been made up, the uh, Muslim, Buddhism, Zendawa, it's all about, I, I looked into, I was studying Buddhism in college, Eightfold Path of Enlightenment. You get, it's like, you gotta work your way up. Jesus worked his way down <laughs> to you, to me. So our lives are oftentimes like ship upon the seas. We're heading towards a destination that we haven't yet laid eyes on. So we walk by faith and not by sight. The rudder of our ship is our tongue. This is what steers us. James chapter 3, verses 2 and 4 says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. <laughs> Able to bridle the whole body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So the question is, where is your tongue taking you? Where is your tongue taking you? Because it's, it's directing your life. It's directing your life. The fourth way is the way of a man with a virgin. The, the word man 
can be translated as a warrior or a bridegroom. It's, it's translated like a mighty man. And so I'm going to fast forward to Ephesians 5 real quick. And this is what's interesting is the Proverbs are saying this is a mystery. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Hmm. Very interesting. So Jesus laid down his life for his bride. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on the earth. So his husband, this is a quickie for the guys here, whether you're married or not. So husbands, men, God's, the scripture says you've been given authority in your family, that you're at the head of your family. So what does that look like? It looks like laying down your life for your family, not lording it over them as the Gentiles do. <laughs> and so you, it looks like you being the first one to say you're sorry. It looks like you being the first one to repent. It looks like you being the one say, I'll get the groceries. It looks like you being the one saying, I'll wash the dishes. I'll bathe the kids. I'll pray with the kids. Now, you're not Superman, but you've got Superman. <laughs> and the wife, and what that does is actually frees up your wife to take her God-given place in the family. And so it will actually release her, and, and, and it works in harmony, it works in unity. You will not get overworked by that. Now, this is taking into consideration that both people or wanting to walk with Jesus, all right? And so husbands, you lay down your life, just as Jesus laid down his life for his bride, we lay down our lives for our brides. And I tell couples when they get married, and this isn't putting, I'm not taking all responsibility off women, but I'm just, I'm speaking to men because I, I'm a husband, I'm not a wife. And so I'm t I tell the men, I was like, guess who gets to die first? 98% of the time in the marriage. And when I say die, meaning you, you, you lay your old man, decide you, you, you consider yourself last, it's the husband. And, um, and so that's how we lay down our lives. That's how we serve, and that's how we yield authority. That's how we wield it, is, is through servanthood. Healthy marriages preach the gospel. Restored families preach the gospels. Now, everything's not going to go perfect in families. It's not going to go perfect. And, and God understands that. He understands that we're on a journey. He understands that we're moving from faith to faith and from glory to glory. And so he's, one of the things I love about God is that he understands. Like, you're in a hard place, he understands. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not devoid of empathy. 
And, and I just, I love that about the Lord. It's like he, he understands my heart better than I do. I don't even know how to like verbalize what's going on in my heart sometimes. And sometimes the Lord tells me what's going on. And so healthy marriages and families preach the gospel. And I just want to, you know, I may, this is probably a whole nother sermon, but I just want to say that we're not, it's, God is totally for the honoring of both genders. It's not like one gender's got to be elevated above the other. It's both genders taking their place in the, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And God is an empower of women, but it's not at the expense of men. Okay? Because there has been a, like I said, this is probably another sermon, but there has been a diabolical scheme to take men out of the families for generations. And so um, it's just really important that we take our place as men, but recognizing it, it looks like the way Jesus relates to his bride. So let's stand up. Do you have something, honey? Let's stand up. I heard this not too long ago. Um, and I, I'm just going to say it the way I heard it. I don't think this is the way it was said, but it was um, that women, that we need to um, be fully who we are, that our role is not to be men. So what's happened in our country is women are trying to take a test designed by men for men to pass. You know, men, like the, the system of the world, it's like we want to move into this place and take over that place of, no, we can, we can be as strong or as, you know, all the things Travis just talked about. And so when men, when we let them step into that place, it actually paves a way for us to be fully who God made us to be. So whether it's your children that are men, or it's your father, or your siblings, or your friends, or your friends' husbands, like we have a place as women to empower men in our life to go before us to be powerful, to lay down their lives. And so what Travis is talking about when he's talking about this mystery, I do think it's a mystery, and we're trying, we try to, like, solve it, you know? <laughs> Some things just our brains can't contain. But when God made Adam and then he made Eve, it both are really valuable. So as we... Just as we go as women, when Travis was talking about that part and even all the other pieces, like there's so much information in there about all the mysteries of God, just letting our mind come to a place where what of those mysteries are we going to empower? And so as I was thinking about just not only empowering my husband, but empowering the other men in my life to encourage them, to bless them as men, to be powerful, to lay down their lives. And if you are married, you can thank your husband for the way he leads you that way. You know, sometimes once we get married a long time, Travis and I have been doing this for 17 years almost. Um, I know, isn't that fun? It's so fun. I love, you know, some of you guys have been doing it for, you know, 
30 plus, maybe even more than that. Um, and I'm sure over the years, you can just, as a, a woman married to a godly man, you can just be like, oh yeah, he always apologizes first. <laughs> like, I, just, I like totally have it made, you know? Because they just lay down their life, you know? But what if we just, instead of in those moments, be like, thank you. Thank you for laying your life down, not only for me, but for our kids. I'm just, you know, food for thought. And if, if you're not married, like, what about your dads? What about your brothers? What about the other Christians that are in your life that you're watching them grow in their walk with the Lord so that they can lead women this way one day? So just um, something to think about. And, and as women, when those things happen, like, take our place, like Travis is saying, take our place that the Lord made for us. Thanks, babe. So if, uh, John, you come on down. Part of, uh, we're going to have our ministry team over here on the side, but I also just want to give an invitation for uh, anybody. <laughs> if, you, if you feel like you've been struggling with pride and what that looks like is uh, not being willing to change, not listening to the people around you, if you kind of hearing a common theme and what they're telling you, uh, or just not being not being flexible. It's just, it can come in all, I want you to ask the Lord if there's been pride in your heart because pride does harden you. It hardens you. And you, you want to keep a tender heart before the Lord and, for, and before other people. You're only as humble before God. I mean, you, the, the Pharisees prayed these, these prayers to God, like, oh God, I tithe my mint and cumin. Thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. And they, they did everything right. They did everything right plus some, but they had the tax collector who said, forgive me, God, a sinner. Jesus said that man walked away more just, justified rather than the Pharisee. And so there's a Pharisee inside all of us, every one of us. But I do feel like some of you just may need to deal with pride this morning. And uh, there's no shame in it. Like I said, everybody, everybody deals with it. But I want you to give that to Jesus this morning. You can come down to the altar. You can come pray with the ministry team. But I, I don't want you walking out of here with a hard heart. Okay? So let's worship to one more song. And uh, if you don't know Jesus, please, you can come talk to me. Jessica, Greg right here would be happy to introduce you to Jesus, our ministry team. But don't leave here not knowing Jesus. He loves you.